This is the Converge Podcast. We meet at 10.30 every Sunday morning at Heritage Baptist Church in the chapel. This is a group that is geared towards those who are young adults who want to follow Jesus and live the gospel life wherever the journey takes them. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you today. So great to have you here. We're going to get things going here. Feel free to go ahead and grab your coffee or snack. I'm just going to run through a few announcements. And then we've got some questions for you. So as always, if you aren't getting our text updates, if you want to know what's going on throughout the week, you can text at HBConverge to 81010. And that's generally just uh, reminders about when and where we meet for small groups throughout the week. We have some groups that meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. And on Tuesday and then on Thursday, we'll send out a text message earlier in the day with just a reminder about what we're going to be talking about and the locations that those are going to be at. And then also, we've had for the last few weeks, 
a, uh, a small group specifically of juniors, seniors, young professionals, people getting ready to go through or have just gone through uh, a life transition of some kind uh, to meet at the Rays at 6.30 a.m. on Fridays and kind of talk through that with a, a group of people in a similar stage. A couple other things to go ahead and put on your radar. There is the Men's Ministry Saturday Reset. That's going to be on March 5th here at, uh, at 8 a.m. And then, actually, I believe it's that Sunday, the next day, right, that we'll be hearing from uh, Jared Price in here. Uh, he actually has a message that fits in really well with the Jesus series that we've been going through, looking at the, the life and works and stories of Jesus. So I'm excited about that. I'd encourage you to be, to be there, guys, if you're able to be. Um, it says there's going to be hiking, disc golf, shooting, and more. I don't actually know the details. I'm assuming the shooting's not happening in here, but I'm sure there'll be more information later. So, Something else to keep on your radar, the new connections class. We've got uh, the next one of those is, is the February one still happening? I really should have known that before I got up here, but uh, if you go to hbclunchburg.com slash nc, you can see more information on when to take the membership class to become a, a member of Heritage Baptist Church. It's in April. The next one is in April. Uh, as always, if you want more information on things going on around Heritage, you can go to the hub, hbclynchburg.com slash hub, and that'll get you connected with ministries and more information and upcoming events, all that kind of helpful information. So ladies, if you were feeling left out, based on the men's ministry event coming up. Here's the big one. Uh, the Align Women's Retreat is gonna be April 22nd through 24th. So um, I think registration is a little bit limited this year. There's not quite as many spots. So if you're interested in going, I would encourage you to go ahead and register for that as soon as you're able to. And you can get more information on that from hbclynchburg.com women or you could talk to basically any female in leadership here in this room. I think just about everybody has been to uh, a Heritage Women's Retreat in the past and could give you more information and, and recommend it to you. Um, if you missed your opportunity to, before to be involved in Heritage Helps, there's still some more uh, spots, still some more opportunities to jump in there. You can go to hbclynchburg.com help, and, uh, and that's the ongoing ministry to Afghan families living in Lynchburg that our church is sponsoring and working with. So if you're interested in being involved in that, you can go to hbclynchburg.com slash help. Uh, today we're gonna be continuing in our Come and See series, working through the book of John and the stories of Jesus that are there and the impact that those should have on our lives and, uh, and our ability to share those to other people. Uh, Jesus' stories are just so amazing. We should share those more. I know I need to share those more than I do with the people around me. Um, so that's all I've got for you today in the way of announcements. I'm going to go ahead and turn things over to Roger. He's got something for you today as well. Good morning, good morning. So I'm Roger, for those who don't know me, and this is Stacy and little Raj. All right, so for today's icebreaker, we're going to scramble you guys up a bit. So if everyone can tuck your drinks and kind of things underneath your seat. The introverts can thank me later for this one. All right, so now I need everyone to stand up and kind of space out in your row. So if you have a wide open row, kind of space out so your whole group fills it out. All right, so there's a key thing to hear. Um, so if you're on the end of the rows here and you have to move to the left and there's no more space for you to move, you're gonna have to go around and come in on the other side of that row. Does that make sense? And middle row, you will cross over the aisle to this side if you have to move to the left. Does that make sense? Yes? All right, all right, here we go. All right, move to the right, one open seat per every sibling you have. So you're gonna have to get close to each other. You're gonna have to excuse yourself. That's good. All right, all right, everyone's moving. All right. Let the people get over to the other side. Nice, nice. All right, 
for the second one. Move forward two rows. Don't climb over the seats. You're going to have to let yourself out and go over. All right, so the people actually standing here in the middle, just move over to the next open seat. There we go. So you don't have to move over like specific spots. It's just however many open seats there are. Does that make sense? Yes. So if you're in the front row and have to move forward, you have to rotate to the back then. All right. Second move. Move forward two rows if you were not originally from Virginia. So move up two open spaces. All right, all right. We're making new friends. All right, I like it, I like it. Wow, front row's really filling up here. Mixing people up here. All right. If you are a freshman or a senior, move three seats to the left. Just move three open seats to the left. Oh, that seat's over. There we go. All right. Here's the last one to really try and break up some groups here. Move forward, run one row if you got a ride to church from a friend. Not if you gave a ride, but if you got a ride. <laughs> awesome. All right. So now, hopefully... You're mixed up a little bit, and now Seth is going to pop up some questions. So now, in groups of two or three, ask each other your name and these questions and get to know some new people. And then after that, feel free to go back to your spots or enjoy your new friend you just made. So get to know each other a little bit.
That was a uh, that was a sneaky move on the part of Roger to shake you guys up that much. But it sounds like it worked. It sounds like that was a pretty effective way to get you to meet some new people, huh? Guys, we're glad you're here. Um, I hope that most of you were able to be in the, the service at the end before you came over here and be a part of the baptism that we had today. Wasn't that phenomenal? This is what this is what we have the privilege of doing. And this is what we're talking about right now through our study in the book of John is to look at the people that we come into contact with like Eunice if you were to find yourself in North Africa to to look at them and just be able to say come and see Jesus. For, for us to witness that firsthand today of the change that happens in a life because of Jesus. Phenomenal. So I hope that you get a chance to meet him too. Um, I hope that as you're walking around Heritage, it's not so big of a place that you can't go and, and talk to new people. Even in this room, it feels like a big place sometimes. Or if you are a student at Liberty, he works there. So go find him and you can talk to him there. Um, for more specifics on that, go to LU Send, I think, is where he works. Okay, um, we, are, we are in our, uh, our study of come and see, and we've made it to John chapter 3. Okay, John chapter 3 is pretty significant, right? I mean, I would, I would venture to say that within the context of our passage today, you will find maybe the most commonly known verse of our group, at least. Maybe not worldwide. There might be some, some other softballs like I can do all things through Christ that people not within, um, within the evangelical circle or something might know more. But within, within people who are familiar with church, like a go-to verse, John 3.16, right? And I would also venture to say that maybe because we know John 3.16 so well, I think we might have some of the most unused context of Scripture because we know John 3.16 so well that we, we don't always spend time um, around John 3.16. So we're going to get to do that today. But I was challenged by something. I was talking with Megan in the days leading up to um, come and teach here. Does everybody know Megan, my wife, right here? Yeah, she has put up with me for almost nine years, nine years next month. Yeah, she deserves a medal or something. Um, I was talking with her, and, and she's been doing a lot of studying through some um, Old Testament themes and, and uh, some passages of Scripture and some uh, commonly used images and things like that through the Old Testament, and it's pretty phenomenal the things that she's learning through that. But in the context of that, she was sharing with me this idea of, of knowing who's speaking and who they're speaking to, and it kind of rattled me just a little bit. I, I've been a student of Scripture, right, and I'm, for years and years, there's been kind of a checklist when you're thinking about context to know who the author is and who the audience is. Right? I don't know if you've, if you've been around Scripture enough to kind of think in big picture terms. What, what is going on in the passage? So where, where are these people? Like what period of time is this? Who wrote it and who's listening to it? And, and so you kind of get in this academic checklist of what to know about Scripture. I, I think that's what I was realizing about myself. And so when you talk in terms of author and audience, you kind of make it clinical and not as relatable. Does that make sense? 
So as we're talking and she says, well, you know, knowing who, who's saying this and who they're saying it to is really important to get that idea of why, why this is significant. And it, it turned a page on my approach to scripture that was really, really healthy. And so we're, we're looking today at a conversation. It's pretty much, that's pretty much where we're landing today. 21 verses of a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. We're going to spend some time trying to understand some of what's going on around this conversation, some of the things that are, that are shaping this conversation. And there are a few things in this conversation that we could dive pretty deep into what's he actually mean here? Because to be honest, as much as we feel super familiar with John 3.16, there's a few things that Jesus says to Nicodemus that are head scratchers. I kind of like those and could camp out on them for most of today, probably. I've got 40 minutes left and you could endure like this conversation of, well, maybe this or maybe that or, or probably this. And, and we could go there, and we will just a little bit, okay? Because I know a few of you at least, maybe one or two, like that kind of thing. But I don't want to miss our point today, which is what is Jesus really telling Nicodemus? And why is this good news for Nicodemus? Okay, now that's, he's the primary person having this conversation with Jesus. And so if we don't... If we don't dive into that a little bit about why is this good news for Nicodemus, it's going to be hard for us to step away from that and say, well, why is this good news for me? Why is this good news for the people that I am coming into contact with? And those are the questions that we've been at least presenting every week that we've been doing this study is why is this good news or who is this good news for? We've said, we've admitted, I think, Rightfully so, that, that it's primarily, we've got to face the fact that this is good news for us, and we need to be changed by this. In fact, the way that um, I've been approaching this study is to say that we need to walk with Jesus and let him change us. It's really important that if, if we were to only focus on how this can change somebody else, that we miss the first step. It's really important that we don't not do that. So after that, though, we need to invite others on this journey. We want to be changed by an interaction with Jesus, and then we want to bring others along so that we get to celebrate their introduction to and growth in Jesus, just like we got to see with our friend this morning, Eunice. So, as we get into the text today, I want you to find your place in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. We're going to read all 21 verses, and then we're going to walk through a few verses at a time to, to grab a hold of what is going on here. I want you to try to read this inquisitively, meaning not just this... This may be, maybe you're the exception to what I was saying earlier that the context isn't so unfamiliar. I think a lot of us, once we get to 16, maybe even 17, we're going to say, oh, yeah, I definitely am super familiar with this. But, but the f- conversation leading up to that and then, and then after that, maybe that's less familiar. So I want you to read inquisitively. I want you to try to um, under- or gather some questions. If you have them and you want to interrupt me and ask them, go ahead. We're all friends here, all right? And if we aren't friends yet, we should be. So you can ask him, all right? I may not have all the answers. I hope to not let that guard down, but, you know, it's possible. I may not have all the answers, but we'll, um, we want to read this inquisitively together. If you don't have those things and you don't ask them, we'll walk through some of them and I'll bring out some things that have stood out to me as we think of who is Nicodemus and, and why is Jesus answering him in this way? What is the significance of what he's saying? 
John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And Moses lifted up the servant, serpent in the wilderness. So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world And people loved darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Is anything... Stand out right off the bat. I'm giving you a platform to ask those questions instead of feeling like you have to awkwardly interrupt me. No? All right. Before we jump into the text, I want us to pray because I'm really, I'm, I'm really um, committed today to uh, us spending time in the point of the passage and not just the technical stuff of the passage. And so I want us to, I want us to lay that before God today that we pursue Jesus and not knowledge, right? Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you've given us this passage of scripture today to walk through. Thank you that it is so squarely focused on Jesus. That of all the verses we've read, so many of them are directly out of his mouth. So, Father, as we spend time in your word today, help us to see Jesus and to be changed by Jesus and not to be too uh, intrigued by questions, not to be too set on technicalities, but, Father, to use that pursuit even to know Jesus better. And might might we be changed and then be able to come to other people and say, come and see this Jesus that I've seen and been changed by, and that you can also be changed by him. Father, we love you and pray that what we say and do in here this morning would honor you and bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so we're running back to the beginning of chapter 3, and we see Nicodemus come in, and Nicodemus is a man of some measure of authority, right? I mean, it says he's a leader, or sorry, a ruler of the Jews, so that puts him probably in the Sanhedrin, like this ruling class of the, of the Jewish religion, and, uh, and so it's significant that Jesus is coming to see, or sorry, that Nicodemus is coming to see Jesus. Uh, we also see that he's coming at night, right? And I think, I think the reality is that he's got to have some cover over his interaction with Jesus. Like here is an authority of the Jewish religion coming and admitting, like admitting to Jesus himself that we know you're from God. There's just no other explanation for what you're doing than that you're from God. And that would have undermined their whole attack on Jesus, right? So as he comes under cover of night uh, with some measure of believing, he has this interaction with Jesus. And we didn't read the end of chapter 2 in in class last week, in, in Converge last week. Some of you may have read it through the week or uh, maybe in small groups you guys saw what was there. Um, actually, maybe we read it, but we didn't really camp out on it. It's just a couple of verses that says, um, verse 23 through 25, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And so there was this honest assessment of Jesus, who had, of course, better knowledge than we would to assess those people, to, I don't know, maybe stiff arm the the people around a little bit, to not really disclose himself in the same way that that they might have been asking for, because he knew their heart. He knew their real heart, that, that they weren't really coming in faith. John um, has a few times where he says something like that and then, and then offers an exception to that. And this is, one of those, this is one of those times when there were some people that Jesus really didn't open himself up to. And then there was Nicodemus. Nicodemus came and Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. And Nicodemus had some genuine interaction with with Jesus. So he was a ruler of the Jews and he came and he says, Rabbi, one word that shows that Nicodemus had some respect for some understanding of the authority of Jesus. I mean, Rabbi was a significant term, especially coming from somebody like Nicodemus to give authority to Jesus, to, to recognize Jesus' authority really is more um, likely what, you know, more realistic to what the situation was, that he was recognizing Jesus' authority, saying, you, you are a genuine teacher. It was known that Jesus wasn't a trained rabbi, okay? I mean, somebody like Paul, who had trained over the course of his life to be in religious authority, and you know, he lists that out sometimes, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, a um, Pharisee and so on and so forth that he says in places like um, Philippians. This was not Jesus. He wasn't trained as a rabbi. That was commonly known. You know, the whole, the whole, can any good thing come from Nazareth? I mean, this is the, this is the general category Jesus was placed in. And so for Nicodemus to seemingly, genuinely look at Jesus and say, Rabbi, we know, we know that there's something different about you. We know that you're a teacher come from God. Because nobody can do these signs except that God's with him. Nicodemus seems like he's close. (laughs) Close to faith. Doesn't quite understand, isn't quite ready to let go of what he's got going on. And we're going to read... The, the interactions between Jesus where and Jesus and Nicodemus where Jesus is kind of breaking down some of those things that maybe we would call them preconceptions of religion. Maybe we'd call them biases 
that are developed over time and exposure to where he's been, but he's coming to this without a blank slate. He's seeing things that don't make sense with his system, right? And he's coming to Jesus to try to get some measure of resolution with it. And we have that tendency too. And we see it around us too, that when we say to somebody, come and see, they're going to come with bias. They're going to come with preconceptions of what Jesus, what religion is, what what they've experienced, and there are going to be things that, you know, we're going to have to, we, we need to personally, and they will, and we might have to walk them through this interaction, but to understand tearing down some of those preconceptions and biases. Nicodemus, we're not going to go, go into it too much. I, I will share it with the small group and the questions that we've got at the end of our time today, but Nicodemus shows up two more times in the book of John. And you kind of see a progression of change, although not, not really a declarative statement about the change. But, but we see a progression of change in Nicodemus. And so I think we can celebrate what Jesus does with exposure to him. Um, but we're going to have to help some people. When we say come and see, we're, we may have to help them come and wipe the slate clean a little bit so that they can come without the bias or lessen the effect of the bias and the preconceptions that we have. I find it interesting that Nicodemus, at least in what's recorded here, doesn't actually ask a question. He says, we know that you're a teacher come from God because nobody can do these things. That's it. And, you know, you could say, well, if Jesus didn't know his heart, you know, if it was the situation of the end of John chapter 2, Jesus says, well, thanks for your assessment, and walks away. But Jesus, knowing what was in the heart of Nicodemus, throws him a massive curveball. We're so saturated with religious lingo that it doesn't really shake us to read this verse. But can you try for a minute to to wipe away again those preconceptions and biases, even the good ones of where we've spent years and years of our lives in the church or in God's word and, and try to listen to this statement for the first time. Unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. What does that mean? I mean, can I just feel like Nicodemus, he's been... He's been around Jesus enough to have seen the signs, right? That's what he's coming to Jesus with, experience with the signs, the signs that are supposed to gather interest to know who Jesus is. He's coming with that. But he's got to have been around long enough to have heard Jesus say some things that, that don't exactly make sense. And we'll get to those in later chapters of John where, where even the disciples say to him, why do you talk like that? And Jesus says, so Jesus says to Nicodemus, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus naturally goes to the natural process of being born again. How is that supposed to work? All right? And we're so desensitized to this conversation that, at least for me, I don't know, I, I won't speak up for you, but, but this idea of being born again just kind of would rattle somebody who seems to be a very mature adult who's going against every fiber of his experience to go to Jesus face-to-face -face and have this interaction just to hear him say, well, you need to be born again. What's that supposed to mean? So that's his response. That's literally what Nicodemus says. How can a man be born when he is old? What is this supposed to mean? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And we say, thankfully, no. But Jesus answers him and says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, 
he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And here's one of those places in this passage that is a bit of a head-scratcher. So what is Jesus actually saying here? There are a few different ways that people have, have looked at this. And I mean, I think it's important for us to, to answer this one. Again, I, I want to, so that you know my heart, I want us to walk away with a better view of Jesus, not just simply a better understanding of the words of Scripture. Okay? But when you talk about this context of John 3.16 that, that has some of these question marks, I think it helps us to be able to walk through this and tell other people, come and see for, for us to understand it. So people have debated, debated, what does Jesus really mean by water? I think we can get behind spirit, right? Born of the spirit. So what does he really mean by water? Is this somehow um, baptism? Okay, well... That would go against the greater counsel of Scripture to say that unless you are baptized, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. So baptized and, baptism and faith. That would go against the greater counsel of Scripture, although you know, some would argue that. Uh, you could somehow make water represent natural birth. So, or you know, your, your human birth, not your spiritual birth. And... Therefore, if you are a human being and you've been redeemed, then you can see the kingdom of God. And I heard that for a long time. That was, um, that was something that uh, was said to me. And I would actually potentially go along with that because there's the, um, the next verses which say, next verse, it says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So it kind of puts the natural birth and the spiritual birth in the same conversation right there uh, in the very next verse. But when you come to this and you say, who is Jesus talking to? And you understand that Nicodemus being a, a religious leader steeped in what we know as the Old Testament, steeped in the religious texts of Judaism. Jesus can use some conversations here that pull from that knowledge and help to put some meat on the bones, so to speak, of, of his conversation with Nicodemus. And so I would actually, I'm coming alongside of a different connection that I think Jesus is making. And I want us to take a quick peek at Ezekiel 36 and 37. Okay, I want you to find Ezekiel 36 and 37. Um, we're not going to be able to spend enough time to read all of Ezekiel 36 and 37. But let me, um, let me point out a couple of things to you. Ezekiel, a prophet of the Old Testament who declares some really tragic things over, over the Israelites. Um, he also gives hope. And here is where he starts to get or has, is giving some hope. Um, in verses, let's say, 22 through the end of 36, chapter 36, he's talking about his spirit coming um, to the people. And... In 33, specifically, the prophecy says, Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be rebuilt. He's talking about a cleansing process. If you back up to verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit will I put within you. And here in the prophecy to Israel in, to the, in the day of Ezekiel, God is putting together a washing process, a cleansing process, and a spiritual filling process. And I think that it would be an easy jump for Jesus to speak to Nicodemus in allusions to Old Testament passages that would draw his attention right to something he's already connected with. 
And so when he says you've got to be born of water and of spirit, I think it would be okay to assume that Nicodemus jumps to this experience, which is followed by, in, verse, in chapter 37, one of the most dramatic pictures of what God can do to a people of any other part of Scripture, where Nicodemus sees a vision of a valley of dead corpses, dry bones, where as a result of this process of cleansing, the water of cleansing and the spirit filling the nation, that now the picture is that life will come to dead bones. That dead things will be made new. Dead things will be made alive. And these bones will come together. This is the image here. The bones come together and form bodies. And then flesh wraps the muscles and flesh wrap the bodies. And and now you have life coming from death. And if, if this really is, which I think it's a reasonable thing to understand, that Nicodemus would pick up on the imagery of what Jesus is saying, Nicodemus would be able to connect this prophecy of horrible things being made right because God steps in and washes in a figurative way, okay? Because he's going to cleanse you from all, sprinkle clean water on you. This is not some strange rainstorm, okay? This is a figurative picture of I'm cleaning you. I'll clean you from all your uncleanness and from your idols I will cleanse you. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. A work of God that radically changes the people of God. And Nicodemus, I think, would pick up on that. And so they'd be, unless you're born of water and of the spirit, you won't see the kingdom of God. There's a work of God that needs to be done in the life before they can see the kingdom of God. So he keeps going. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said these things to you. Who knows what Nicodemus' face is looking like at this point. Jesus says don't marvel. I assume you know it's like pick up your jaw a little bit. Don't marvel that I say you must be born again. In essence saying, I I get that this doesn't really make sense, but here's the reality. The wind blows from where it wishes, and you hear it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. You you understand the wind has power. There's there's something that happens around you, and you get it that, that there's something going on, but you only see the evidence of it. The same is true when the Spirit changes somebody. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You don't necessarily get it exactly, but you see the effects of it. And Nicodemus just responds with, how can this be? Jesus calls him out a little bit and says, you're a teacher. You're a teacher of Israel and you don't get this. How is it that if I... This is just earthly stuff, and I think what he, what he means by that is this is the experience that you would have on, on earth. This is the renewal process that happens in this lifetime, right here, right now, that there's a, there's a rebirth. And yes, it's complex to talk about, but this is what's happening now. If you can't understand that, how, how am I supposed to reveal to you the things of heaven, the heavenly things that are still yet to happen And Jesus gives him another picture of an Old Testament event that so clearly pictures what Jesus is going to have to do and Nicodemus' responsibility. And this, this is phenomenal. And this one you can't miss. This isn't like maybe Jesus is talking about Ezekiel. Jesus is definitely talking about Moses in the wilderness here. And he says, just like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness... Do you know this story? It's in Numbers chapter 21. Um, if, you've, if you're nimble enough with your scriptures, you can get to uh, Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Uh, it's only six verses. Six verses that give us a word picture of 
what Jesus is going to do and our responsibility in the process. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Just our style. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food. There's no water. We loathe this worthless food. Ungratefulness at kind of a peak there, but not so much different than if we were to actually put words to our own thoughts sometimes. You ever thought about that? I mean, like, do you loathe the situation you're in at times? I think it's fair that we, it's fair to say that we probably approach God in the same way at times. Verse 6, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned. For we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is the picture that Jesus gives to Nicodemus to say this is what has to happen. The Son of Man has to be lifted up the same way the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. And he should draw the conclusion that then if you look at the Son of Man, if you have enough faith to look to the Son of Man for salvation, that that's where the salvation comes from and that you will be made new. This is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. This is your responsibility in this. That whoever believes in me, the Son of Man, may have eternal life. Drawing Nicodemus' focus to this picture that he would be incredibly familiar with. And saying, I have to be lifted up. Just like the serpent was in the wilderness. And you have to look. You just have to look. And believe. And that's, that's when Jesus drops verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Just like Moses made the bronze serpent and lifted it up in the wilderness. The Father has sent the Son to provide eternal life. And it, he goes on to, to clear up any misunderstanding about, about the relationship that the Father has in this process. And he says... God didn't send the Son in the world to condemn the world, but instead to remove the condemnation. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. This is a done deal. Judgment has been done for those who do not believe. But for those who believe, condemnation is removed. Romans 8, right? Last semester. There's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But for those who do not look to Jesus, condemnation is set. And it's all because we love darkness rather than light. If we are not in Jesus, we crave the darkness because the darkness covers our sin. We don't want to go to the light because it exposes the darkness. We want to hide in the darkness. And I love how Jesus tells Nicodemus about the opposite process. That for those who do what's right, they long to come to the light because they know that it exposes what they've done, but it exposes it to show that God has done it. Do you see the last part of that verse? The last part of verse 21. They see what was done was done in God. 
And so he removes the possibility of Nicodemus thinking that there's just one more thing he can do in this religious process to get it right. In fact, he has to give it up. That it's looking to Jesus and it's coming to the light and allowing the light to expose what has been done by God that brings salvation. Why is this good news for Nicodemus? Why is this good news for Nicodemus? I think it removes the shackles of the religious system that he spent his life in and gives freedom. And it does the same for us. It does the same for you as you sit there. If you you haven't yet found a freedom in Jesus, And you're bound by shackles of religious obligation. Then it's good news for you that there's not a benchmark that you have to meet. There's not an expectation that you have to fulfill. There is a redeemer that you have to look to. And it's not what you can do to get there. It's not that you can finally clean up enough to get out of the darkness and into the light. It's that God has done it. And that in him you can come to the light and live in freedom because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. Why else is this good news for Nicodemus? You guys have thoughts? Want to share anything? Think about Nicodemus' religious background. Think about where he's at. Think about this fact that he actually comes to Jesus in the dark, not to, not to necessarily play up the darkness beyond what it actually is. I mean, but, but they're sitting there in the dark. And Jesus says... You can come to the light. As you think a little bit, I'll share a few more questions that you can process. I got my questions in order today, by the way. Thanks to some coaching right before the time. Nicodemus comes back in the book of John, specifically John 7. 45 to 52, and 1938 to 42, Nicodemus comes back. Um, How did his interaction with Jesus seem to change him? I'd love for you this week, if you get some time to interact with Scripture, or if you um, spend some time in our small groups this week, Tuesday and Thursday, 7 o'clock, you should go. Here's a shameless plug. Uh, How did this interaction with Jesus seem to change him? And I, I put that there, I put it as seem because... There's not, not an explicit conversation, but, but the way that Nicodemus' public display of connection to Jesus changes is, I think, indicative of a heart change, okay? So you can think about, you can think about that. What preconceptions or bias, religious or otherwise, okay? There's lots of other bias. There's cultural bias. There's... There's your own experience, bias. What preconceptions or bias might somebody come to Jesus with today? I think it's important that we, that we think about that, okay? You, just like, just like uh, I had to be reminded to think about, okay, who, who is Jesus talking to and or, or, you know, who's talking and who are they talking to, Jesus and Nicodemus, that Nicodemus has a history. Nicodemus has a background that's important to this conversation So does the person you're talking to. So do you have a background that you're bringing to the table when you interact with Jesus. And we need to be willing to lay some of that down. That we approach Jesus in humility and expectation that he changes us. 
But you can also think about the people around you if it's uncomfortable to face it for yourself sometime. Uh, I want to invite you to read the rest of John chapter 3 because next week Jeremiah is going to take us into John chapter 4. Jeremiah's over here. We're excited to have Jeremiah come and teach. Um, he's going to take us into John chapter 4. So reading John 3, 22 to 36 might give you some additional uh, shape to this interaction because Jesus goes from here and then there's baptizing taking place. But the camera pans over to John the Baptist, not John the evangelist who writes, the disciple who writes this, um, this book, but John the Baptist. And John the Baptist displays humility in exalting Jesus that is something we should emulate. That there's, we, we can have a tendency to try to, try to draw in the light, the attention, the focus right here. And John the Baptist steers it right back to Jesus. And so it's, it's an interesting thing there. So I want you to examine the humility of John in exalting Jesus. And lastly, the same question as each week, what type of person, for what type of person is this good news? We've talked about Nicodemus. I think, that's, I think that's a valid first place to start, although that's a historic figure, right? Second stage talks about us. Why is this important to us? Why is this good news for us? Because it allows me to let go of some of the things that I feel like I have to do to meet an expectation. Who else is this good for? Is it good for Eunice, who was baptized today? Is it good for somebody who felt the judgmental thumb of God or Allah and now sees freedom in Jesus? What other type of person is this good news for? We can process that. Guys, as you, um, as you leave here, I hope that you interact with Jesus in a way that changes you. I hope that all of you have had the interaction with Jesus that changes you, right? That you have come to Jesus. You've been washed, made new, reborn, redeemed, and reconciled. But as you continue to grow in Jesus, that you are shaped to be more like Jesus. And that you can say to others, come and see Jesus. For the next few weeks, we get to hear from other people of our teaching team, except for March the 6th, when we'll have our guest speaker come, Jared Price, who is, that's going to be a really exciting, uh, really exciting day for us. Um, but hope you continue to walk through these stories of Jesus and that you look for opportunities for how to invite others along the journey. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for giving us your son that we might not perish but have everlasting life. And that in your grace, all we need to do is look to Jesus. Father, thank you for changing us. Continue to change us. Make us more like Jesus. Show us who we should invite on this journey. Help us to not live with blinders on our eyes and miss opportunities that come before us. But Father, help us to live a life that reflects you and help us display your love and speak your love to others. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go, I hope you enjoy the Super Bowl tonight, but none of you will enjoy it quite so much as Matt Hankins, who is a 30-year 50-year fan of the Bengals through some really dry times. And now, tonight, he gets to watch them in the big game. All right. So, if you didn't know it was Super Bowl, tonight's the Super Bowl. Have a great week.
Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you would like to get plugged into a small group, just text HB Converge to 81010 and you will get the text reminders for all the small groups. If you have any questions, just respond to one of those text reminders and it will go to our leadership team and they will be able to respond to you directly. Thank you.